Welcome to CPP Chat, where we usually chat with guests from the C++ community, but this episode is a little bit different. So, John, rather than a disclaimer, perhaps you could tell us what's going on. All right. What's going on is I was invited by KDAB to do a panel for them. Uh, uh, Francis Tate asked me to join, and, and I thought it was a great panel. We covered a lot of good stuff. It was really cool. Uh, but then it turns out that they're not going to be able to use it right away. They are in the midst of, of setting some stuff up, and they offered it to us to put out on our stream, and I, I jumped at it, and I convinced Phil that that we should share with anybody. So uh, I don't think we need any more because there's a good intro at the beginning of it. So let's just cut to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a KDAB Insights production for our YouTube channel, KDAB TV. My name's Francis Tate. I work for KDAB, and I'm delighted to introduce our participants in today's discussion about the future of C++. In alphabetical order, then, Ivan Zukic is a senior software engineer at KDAB and the author of Functional Programming in C++. He's one of the core developers in the KDE community, which develops the largest free open source C++ project. Kala Dalheimer is a software pioneer, the author of Programming with Qt and a co-founder of KDE. Most notably, he's the founder and CEO of KDAB, the leading consulting, training and development company for Qt. C++ and OpenGL. John Kalb is co-author of C++ Today, The Beast is Back, a speaker and trainer in C++. John is the inspiration behind and the organizer of CppCon, now the largest annual C++ conference globally. And Jens Weller is a C++ evangelist and active member of the C++ community worldwide. He's also the founder and organizer of what has now become the Meeting C++ platform in Europe. Welcome, gentlemen, to a conversation about the future of C++. Before we get started, even I wonder if you could briefly tell us a little bit about C++, its ups and downs so far, and what got you so passionate about it, and why we should care about it at all. So, for me, C++ wasn't really a language that is particularly nice for young people a long time when I was young. Uh, but at some point, I joined KDE and I saw the power that C++ has. Unfortunately, in that era, C++ kind of got a little bit less popular due to some uh, nicer to use languages. I'm not going to mention any names. Uh, but all those languages claimed to be nicer by removing some or many C++ features. And... After a while, you just realize that using languages that are just subpar is not good enough. C++, for me, the main benefit is that you have an enormous power. You can go as low as the hardware or as high as, as the cloud. So it's probably the only language in which I've been, I was able to write really low-level code and at the same time develop stuff that ended up in functional programming for C++. Thank you, Ivan. So can you tell us a little bit about the history, just right up to the point where in about 2011, I think it was, they started to do the C++ standards? There was something about that which I thought might be useful for background for people before the, before we get started. Okay, so uh, the first standard of C++ was in, in 98, and it, it was a significant milestone. But after that, uh, C++ was quite stagnant for a long time. 
and all those other alternative languages tried to overtake it and some let's be honest kind of succeeded but at some point people started carrying around little devices like mobile phones that run on batteries and battery life became really important and at the same time for big server farms the most expensive thing to have is the electricity so people started caring about the performance of of their software and there is no language that can compare to c++ uh, as far as the performance goes and performance and abstractions so not c not java not any other language okay thank you even so each of you has contributed to the spread and growth of c++ in the ecosystem in different ways why what inspired the rest of you perhaps i could start with kala as a business owner why did you respond positively to jens for example when he invited you to sponsor the the, the meeting c++ the first one the conference that he decided to do in i think it was 2011 or 2012 actually yeah so at that time um we at kdap were in a bit of a difficult situation so to give a bit of a background because i'm not sure everybody um is aware um our business is to support our customers succeeding uh, with their projects the software development projects based on the qt framework and qt essentially supports well it, there are bindings for many but uh, uh, primarily it supports to uh, implementation languages for application writers uh, c++ for the back end and for the front end you have the choice between c++ and qml which is essentially javascript based and then of course there is a officially supported python bindings there are bindings for ruby and many other uh, languages but for the vast majority of projects it boils down to c++ versus javascript and we have seen many customers who drew the line between what gets implemented in C++ and what gets implemented in QML JavaScript too far into the back end so algorithmic bits uh, of the code that should have been for speed and energy efficiency should have been implemented in C++ were implemented in JavaScript just because that's what they had more developers with or or had the greater fam- familiarity with and uh, so we saw a need to educate our customers about sort of where to draw the line at what point to hand over between the two or even keeping the option open of even developing the front end in C++ which is still perfectly possible um but also we also saw that we had a hard time recruiting C++ developers uh mm-hmm. because there was not uh there weren't not a lot of uh, college curricula that actually used C++ as an implementation language and while we do not when recruiting we do not necessarily require uh, having attended college or or having a college degree but of course for for the vast majority of young young people uh, entering the workforce that that's usually where they come from anyway and uh, typically they wouldn't bring a lot of C++ unless they had used it in 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 uh, open source projects for example like the KDE project that we did and still do recruit a lot of our uh staff from so we had the need to get the word about C++ out to a greater audience um we also saw the somewhat weird situation that C++ was used as an implementation language in so many things browser engines and uh 
in high performance finance computing it's the main implementation language but so there was an there must have been an ecosystem but it was essentially invisible because there were hardly any conferences uh, there were not a lot of books published uh, there were there, there were there was little there were a few podcasts there were there, there was little on youtube so uh, when jens came and approached us about running a c++ conference that was just uh, was a perfect fit for us at that point fantastic and john in in america did, did you you were involved in the c++ community as it developed out there i i was interested to know whether america came first so there was a there was a conference in the us a, a big conference that actually focused more on software development than on c++ but most of the attendees were c++ uh, programmers and that conference announced we're not doing this anymore they they no more and that was a, a little bit upsetting to me because there was no C++ conference in the United States, um, except there was a conference that was actually focused on Boost. It was BoostCon. And I had been attending that, and it occurred to me that this is the closest thing to a general C++ conference. It was mostly general C++ content, kind of cutting-edge, library-focused stuff, but but the name was Boost. And so I actually approached the organizers and said, uh, you know, let's rename the conference. Let's focus on C++. Let's grow the conference. Let's make it the conference that doesn't exist. And uh, that was successful. In a sense, we changed the name. And the very first year that we had it as a name under C++ now, we had an attendee that that showed up and his, you know, he, he actually left his mark on the community. And that was Jens, who who was who attended the first C++ now and came to me and said, "Hey, I'm going to have a conference like this in Europe because there needs to be one." And um, I think I've told him this. I was a little, I was all enthusiastic, and and but I didn't think he could pull it off. But he that very year he pulled off. That was 2012, and he pulled off a, a great conference in Europe. Had more attendees than we did, um, and it's been growth and growth and growth and excitement ever since for him. But but what was going on in the U.S. was I my vision was to kind of take the conference and be a, a major C++ conference, a mainstream large conference. And I began to realize um, it was a little bit disappointing that that wasn't a good idea because it might not be successful. It might not become the conference I wanted, but I was risking destroying a really good conference, a small conference, not really mainstream, more, as I said, focused on libraries and things. But um, and so I realized, no, it, we would have to start from scratch to build a conference that was that was its intent. And that was kind of the history of CPPCon. That's what we decided to do, was we'd start a new conference. And so both conferences now exist. And um, and that's that was kind of my my contribution. Like Jens, I, I support local groups. I don't know that I've done it nearly as effectively as Jens has, because Jens really made a mark there with local groups, both in Europe, but also otherwise. Um, but that's that's kind of the story of how I got involved and what I've been trying to do. So, so looking back at 2012, I've been for about five years a freelancer. And for the last two or three years of those years, I specialized in C++. And prior to that, I had a long time experience of serving the C++ community and in December 2011, I started a C++ user group. And prior to that, I've already been involved in community work for Qt and Migo, which was a mobile operating system 
by Nokia and Intel. And while the things for Amigo were not going that great for Nokia, it still was kind of a little bit going on with, with Intel. And I had kind of good contacts at Intel. And Intel uh, tell me, had told me they kind of like they were interested to start something. And I kind of had this idea of uh, 2012 and 11 were really good years for me that I actually would be able to to start a conference and see like, you know, as a one-off. Then I happened to meet John and John and a lot of others, and especially most of the Europeans, which were at C++ now, uh, kind of talked me or I talked myself into doing it. And um, on the other hand, I kind of as a freelancer back then realized during C++ now that we needed kind of a long time perspective for C++. And that not a lot is being done in terms of media coverage, of uh, community work, of just connecting people for C++ and just having this as a resource. And I kind of during that time asked myself and like, how, how can we possibly A, teach the new standard to the masses which are out there wanting to learn C++ if we don't have the proper conferences? And on the other hand, I also was, well, we, we kind of have to see, to reach out, to, 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 to reach into the talent we have to find a new generation. Because I kind of realized that, you know, we, from, from that point, we would have like 10 to 20 years to, to grow a new generation that then would uh, be able to step into the footsteps of well-known people like, you know, which have been involved the C++ and um, which at some point would retire. And uh, just a few weeks, I've seen that one of the founders of Boost unfortunately has passed away. And so, yes, we are, we are losing or still having this foundational generation of C++ around. But back then, I kind of realized that we as C++ have to see that we get better in having something that cares for the community and that enables us to just to to let uh, talent grow. And in the decades since, I would never have thought that we would, you know, go that crazy with multiple standards, large conferences, and a global community. As so, what kind of numbers are we talking about? Uh, I can ask you both about that. Because when you first began, there would have been how many people who came to the first conference and how many people are coming now? Uh, perhaps John could answer that one first. Well, at the first conference, we had 600 people, which was the largest C++ conference that had ever been held. And today, that would not be the largest. I think Jens has, has got more than 600. I think the one in Russia uh, is more than 600. I think there's a few that are more than 600. Of course, we've grown uh, the last year because in uh, in 2020, we, we did it virtually. But the last time we had a physical meeting, we had 1,400 people. So there's been a lot of growth. 1,400. Okay. Um, wow. Yeah, I, you know, it's really hard to predict what it's going to be this year because we're doing it in October. By then, we hope we can do physical meetings. We hope to have a lot of people turn out, but there might be a lot of people who, for one reason or other, not want to travel. So it's really hard to know where we're at, but but that does give you a, a sense. I mean, the, the, our, our conference was growing at about 20% a year, something on that order. Um, and that's, um, I, I don't, and that was at a time when many other conferences were, were, 
were coming into being a lot of regional conferences. And, um, and I think, um, I think is that, that CPPCon is growing, not because there wasn't any other alternative for people to go to. It was because people were really hungry for this kind of community. And I think that's, you know, this was at a time, I mean, Jens was, Jens is meeting C++ is growing at that same piece. And, and then, as I said, a whole bunch of other new, new conferences were coming up. So it was, um, kind of a, a, in a sense, a glorious age in the sense that we went from almost no conferences at all to having, um, almost every major country as a conference and, and then many regional conferences. And then, and we've got the likes of Google and Microsoft, uh, investing in it. You know, one of the things about C++ is it's never really been associated with a particular company that, that picked it up and carried it. It, of course, came out of Bell Labs and AT&T, um, but AT&T's position about C++ was that it was a tool that they were going to use internally. And they never really tried to, uh, it, you know, you can look at companies that have created their own languages or adopted a language and promoted it for among all their developers and things like that. And then, you know, that's helped those those languages. C++ has never had that. Um, there's now a, a foundation, uh, the standard C++ foundation, which has been supported heavily, as you said, by Microsoft and Google. But that came about, I'm not sure the exact date, but it was 2009 or something like that. So it's relatively new, all this stuff, really, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's been a huge revival. And that's kind of, you know, the, the, the book that I, that I wrote and showed up was, was basically about um, what this revival was. And that's why I gave it the subtitle, The Beast is Back, because C++ has very old, um, a lot of legacy, but it, it, it became um, another a force again at about 2010, 2011 with the new standard. Um, you know, um, Yvonne had pointed out, he said, you know, it was, it was stagnant during the 2000s. The Standards Committee didn't release a new version of the standard for 13 years. That's just amazing from 1998 to, uh, to, uh, to 2011. But the, but the interesting thing is that the committee wasn't wasting its time. It was meeting, it was, it, it was, uh, but it didn't actually ship anything. And so when it did ship in 2011, um, the, you know, the rough, the rough measure is the number of pages in the standard, which almost doubled between 1998 and the new release in 2011. And that tells you there were a lot of new a lot of new features in the language, a lot of things that were just uh, modernizations like Lambda expressions and range-based for loops and things like that, which other languages, you know, if you were a modern language, you had those things and C++ didn't have those things. But in, in, in 2011, it comes out, it has that, it has multi-threading, it has an awful lot of stuff. And it's, it's almost like, gosh, it's a brand new version that happens to be completely backwards compatible with what we've been using in, in you know, for, for decades. And so, um, so that's why it, you know, as as I said in the in the in in my subtitle, the beast was back. In other words, it suddenly become a, a language, and it was a also as Yvonne had hinted at, um, people began to understand that performance was more important than we thought. I think there was a feeling in in, in the two thousands where we had these desktop computers that were just so powerful that you didn't really need to worry about performance. You could use a language that just threw performance on the ground. It wasn't that important because our processes were so powerful. But it turns out desktop machines are not really computers anymore. Computers are now smartphones or cloud computing. And in both of those, you're now back to thinking about performance again, either because of battery or because in the case of the, you know, the cloud infrastructure, you're, you're looking at power. But in both cases, performance is now really, really important. It's, it's not like, you know, the, the joke about desktops was, well, you know, how, how fast does a cursor have to blink, you know, when you're sitting there with your word processor? You don't care about more performance. 
if you're talking about a fully loaded desktop machine. That's not the issue. But And so that's why people were looking at, at languages where performance was less important, but ease of programming was important. So programmer productivity. But C++ has always been about, no, 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 it's the final result. And what the standards committee has been doing, I think, to a great extent, is trying to figure out ways to add productivity without compromising the end resulting performance. In other words, what kind of tools can we give you that make it easier to program, make it easier to communicate your ideas? Uh, the high-level abstractions that Yvonne was talking about, like functional programming, we want that, but we, as C++ programmers, um, absolutely insist that it has to be done without compromising performance. And that's a really tough standard. It's, it, you know, I don't want to diminish other people's work, but it's a lot easier to write a language that's easy to use and easy to understand if it doesn't have to be uncompromising in the area of performance. But when you add that, that's, that's a tough call. And C++ has that. Um, and, um, and a long legacy of a lot of, a lot of the community, you know, that, that Jens has built, but other people have built. There's a lot of people out there who've written books who have who do training? Who have built up the conferences and things like that? So there are some other languages that are trying to come into C space as um, as supporting high level abstractions, but also systems languages that can do the low level performance that you can see in C So that might be a good moment for me to to interrupt and and segue through to the meat and potatoes of this conversation, which is to ask each of you to consider, you know, what next? Are, are any of these things serious contenders? Um, yeah, I had my time to think about that. And I think like from 2010, 11, 12, we were in that sweet spot that you couldn't scale by hardware anymore. And from 2015, 16 on, you could scale by hardware again with the cloud, but it would cost you a lot to, you know, just add servers in the cloud. You could do that in theory, but it would be really expensive that way. And that's kind of the sweet spot where those new languages come from that they, you know, now also have to focus on performance and like the other things which uh, John said, uh, that basically there's now, there's not only the embedded space now, there's this, um, this space of devices which are not embedded, but also not PCs, where importance is really important. And for me, all of this is a big ecosystem, one big ocean. And C++ definitely is like on, on, on the top. And there are some other new languages which try to compete in that. And of course, there's going to be some new startups which have the luxury to fully implement everything in those new languages and then find out if that works or not. But if you look in the industry and the code bases which exist for the last 10, 20 years, you're not going to replace and rewrite all of this legacy code. And so I think if, if I see what's ahead, I think that uh, C++ has become really competitive to those new languages because also C++ has become a moving target and we standardize and we implement and we have different implementations, not just one implementation as those languages usually do. And so I'm not worried. And I think that for the standardization, it can be a very good thing to see what other languages do and amongst people at uh, C++ now. Haskell has always been popular to look at what is Haskell doing. And 
uh, Haskell has never become mainstream because it's just Haskell, and so I'm I'm not afraid of other languages. Yeah, if I'm if I may, um, it's uh, sort of it's part of my job here at KDAP to keep abreast of where our industry is moving to make sure our offering to our customers uh, remains relevant. So I spend quite a bit of time looking at what's going on in the programming world, looking at different languages, frameworks, environments, and there's a repeating pattern that I see is that all those new kits on the block, the Rusts and the Darts and the Haskells of this world, they are solving problems now that the C++ community solved a long time ago. I'm just making up a number that C++ solved 15 or 20 years ago. So if you look at... Um, if you look at the kind of things that are getting sort of getting fixed in the by the C++ committee in the standard right now these are um to the casual observer these are so intricate details that uh many C++ developers will never even notice them uh either because they are of relevance to library writers only or uh, because uh, compiler magic uh, will make things happen for them automatically. Anyway, whereas in uh, if I look at the look through the change logs of of Dart, for example, which is a very uh, I don't want to say anything bad about Dart. It's a very promising and interesting language, and I had some fun writing code in it. But the things that get fixed in Dart are quite fundamental at this point still, which is to be expected. I mean, it, it's a very young language, so. It looks like it's moving at a much more rapid pace, but that is because it has so much to catch up. And that's the case for all those new languages. Um, so if you're looking for a, a stable environment where you actually know what you're developing for, then any of the, uh, in quotation marks, legacy languages like uh, C++ would, would, would certainly be a better choice. And then I can only uh, confirm what Jens just said, uh, legacy code matters. Um, we are frequently confronted with gigantic code bases of a legacy code, millions of lines of code, absolutely not unusual. And uh, you're not going to go and throw all that away. There, there were, have been in the past, there have been uh, some attempts of actually throwing some all of it away. Um, uh, Mozilla probably uh, being uh, the most dramatic example, but there, there were many others. And uh, I think everybody has understood that code that has been written and tested for years and decades. That's an a, a, a tremendous asset that you that you certainly want to improve and modernize and and, and get ready for for the next uh, decennium. But that's not something that you just outright throw away and replace it with the uh, uh, hot new programming language du jour. If I if I I can add something, so. Uh, to connect to Jens and Kale's uh, comments, uh, C++, so we have a lot of new programming languages coming around and all of them focus on specific things, doing them really, really good. And they kind of restrain the developer to a specific paradigm or specific uh, type of work. With C++, uh, what I think that those languages are awesome because they will teach C++ developers how to write better C++ code. I don't think that they can ever replace C++. The good thing about legacy code is and transition to modern C++ is that it can be gradual, unlike what Kala mentioned, Mozilla rewriting everything from scratch. 
So if you already have a huge project, you can just start improving piece by piece and moving to, let's say, uh, C++ idioms and standard versions and not rewrite everything from scratch in a completely different manner. And that's one of the things that I really love about C++, that it's a truly multi-paradigm language. You can mix and match different paradigms in different parts of your project as you see fit and just to make the code more safe, more performant and everything else. And that's not true for our most other languages. Uh, yeah, I think the, the, the unique value proposition of C++ is that it is a systems programming language, but there are others that also supports high-level abstractions, which C doesn't support well. But there have been, and C++ for a long time was really the only one that was doing that. But now we have others that are encroaching in that space. Some of these other, you know, new languages that we're talking about. And so the, so the unique proposition of C++ is that it has the legacy. It has the community. It has uh, lots and lots of libraries, tools, platforms, all this training, all these kinds of things that are non-trivial. That doesn't happen overnight. That's community building that has taken on years and years and years something that that all of us here have been part of and and you know that that doesn't just happen so we get a new language and they learn from the baggage that c++ has and so it's a sexy thing it's a green field they can do all sorts of neat things but the legacy that that c++ has makes a difference and if if c++ was standing still then it would just be a matter of time for these other languages or to, to defeat it. But C++ is not standing still. The committee, the community are well aware of what these other languages are doing and, um, and where we want to take the language, which is, you know, better productivity, better safety, uh, um, being able to write code that expresses what we want without ever compromising performance. That's, that's the goal. That's the challenge of both the standards committee and also the community. Is it sexy? Do young people find it sexy as a programming language? Do they actually want to learn it? Is this, is this still a problem? For an awful lot of them, the, the gateway is that they find out that games are written in C++, and that's the thing. It's like the young kids play this game, and they say, wow, you know, what was this game written in? Um, and it's like, well, you know, it relies on a lot of performance, and we need to have a lot of tools and a lot of investment in producing these games because the games have to be produced very quickly. Um, and they have to be extremely efficient in in using machine resources. So yeah, uh, C++ is is used in game development, and so that drives a lot of people into thinking, well, maybe I need to learn about C++. But there are people for whom um, I don't want to say I don't know I don't want to say this in a bad way, but they're control freaks. They really want to control the machine. They really want to understand what the machine is about, and they want to know what's doing and how to make it do, you know, how to bend it to their will. And so there's a certain personality of the, of the programmer that really wants to, to own the machine and really wants to control what it does at, a, at both a, high, a low level, but also expressing that at a high level. And I think that's a lot of the motivation uh, to drive people into a, um, a, a systems language uh, like C++, but also having high-level abstractions because they want to write beautiful code that is easy to maintain. One of the, the things I've always loved about my line of work is that programmers are so enthusiastic about their about their work about programming in general and most of them would probably if they were if they weren't paid to do they do it anyway and that's kind of how it works <coughs> how it works in college when you live on a student loan or, or some burger flipping job and you make a name for yourself by working on open source project but then at some point you reach your mid-20s and 
find out that you still want to spend the better part of your waking time writing code, but that nasty things like bills and rent have cropped up. And uh, all of a sudden, um, maybe not, uh, or it becomes uh, what, what makes a programming language sexy, among other things, is whether it gets you a job or not, and preferably uh, a job in, in a, a sort of subset of the industry that you're interested in, whether that's game, games development or high-performance financial computing or uh, scientific computing or whatever it is. And there, of course, C++ uh, all of a sudden becomes very strong, uh, maybe not all of a sudden, but becomes a very strong and very attractive proposition just because there are so many C++ jobs to get around. Wow. Yeah, well, there's one we're getting close to, we really should wrap up because it's been quite a long time. It sounds to me like we could probably have another one of these at another time and talk about a whole lot of other things to do with C++. But there is one question that I know the cute enthusiasts among the C++ community would want to have answered. And that's about what the features might be in, in C++20 that, that you'd like to see that, or that, um, which are the most important, could you say, for, for C++20? Oh, I have an op- I have an opinion. At least I'm sure Ivan can give the sort of the the, the more competent uh, technical answer on that one. But um, for for a long time, concurrency has been something that was maybe taught theoretically in colleges, but that uh, software developers have not had a lot of exposure to when actually writing their code because uh, uh, the operating system took care of that and. That seems to change uh, more and more. Because it becomes apparent that uh, in order to get more enhancements in, in terms of efficiency and, and performance improvements, programmers will actually need to design concurrency into their software right from the start. So uh, easy access to concurrency for software developers uh, is probably the thing I would put to the top of my list of uh, what is needed. I think one of the biggest challenges following exactly on this is to better exploit uh, GPUs as opposed to just CPUs. And C++ is really good at uh, exploiting CPU. But um, if you've got a lot of GPUs or even just a lot of of cores, uh, C++ can handle multi-threading so you can light up those cores. But lighting up the GPUs requires something that is not standard in other words some some proprietary library or some maybe it's uh, not standard but not proprietary there's some some other ways of of getting access to gpus and i think one of the one of the things the standards committee is really really trying to figure out is you know how can we write code that looks and feels like c++ but will exploit gpus not just not just the gpus that we have today but the gpus that we're going to have in 10 years and that's a really challenging project, and the and the committee's on it. They're working on it, but but we don't uh, we don't have that yet. So that's I think one of the important things in the future that um, that we don't have the committees on that that I think is you know that's that's something that everybody's looking at is how can we how how can we write generic uh, code in C plus plus that will that will uh, exploit GPs. That's that's a real challenge. But there's other things that we have. Um, um, one of the things that was, and I don't want to get too much in the weeds here, but there was this thing called Sfine, and it was something that was hard to explain to people, but it really uh, gave you some interesting performance. Um, and we don't need to know about that anymore because with the with the latest release, we now can do concepts, which is basically a better way 
more straightforward way, easier to explain way of doing what we used to do with Sfine. And I think those are the kinds of things that the committee is taking a look at. There's there's a lot of stuff in the area of reflection that, um, again, the committee is just beginning to unwrap how we're going to be able to do reflection so that it doesn't, because the easy way to do reflection takes a, a huge runtime hit. And that's just not acceptable for C++. So we got to figure out how can we do reflection so that the price you pay, um, you don't, as C++ would say, you don't pay the price if you don't use it, but you still want to be able to do that. So reflection, I think, is another thing that's on the table. And um, I know the committee, probably, I think this is a closer uh, a closer problem. The solution to this is closer than, than the, the more general GPU solution. But the committee's working on both. I think if I look at C++ 20, uh, the big feature really is concepts, because as John mentioned, Fine is basically made obsolete except for like a few obscure corner cases. So for Qt developers, Qt 6 makes C++ and 17 the base standard, um, which also has some nice features taking away things which otherwise would have been solved by Svine, like uh, constant expression if. And there's C++ 17 has a lot of features. And for, uh, I think, a lot of code bases, it might be the standard rather than uh, C20 for the coming years because um, I'm not sure like how modules, etc. will exactly be used as something the community right now figures out. And I think uh, with C23, we, in that time frame, we will see how people actually use C20 and have that experience and radiate out. And I think that Qt probably is very conservative in upgrading the, the future standards if we see like Qt 6 move to C++ 20, that's an interesting question. I, I agree with Jan. So uh, even if we all adore C++ 20, uh, C++ 17 is, let's say, the, the standard that the Qt people will mostly care about. For me, C++ 20 is mostly just a preview release for C++ 23 because there are so many nice things that are kind of not complete, but we are going to finish them in the next release. Concepts is probably the only feature that I consider properly complete. Coroutines, which would fix, let's say, all the problems for multi-threading and other stuff that Kala mentioned. They're kind of in the language, but with no library support, so it's coming a little bit later. Ranges are incomplete, and but you just get a taste of, of what's to come. So let's say C++ 17 is the release that cute people should care about. And C++ 20 should be where C++ is going to be in the next, let's say, major release of Qt. Okay. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, you've given us all a lot to think about. I think we better pull it to a halt there. And I'd just like to say once again, thank you to Jens Weller, Ivan Chukic. I'm probably going to say your name wrong again. Um, John Kalb and Kala Dahlheimer. Thank you very much. And um, see you again sometime, you. I hope. Thank you, Francis. Bye-bye. Thanks, thank guys. You. To our listeners, thank you again for listening. And if you have any questions or if you'd like another session or even if you have any other suggestions, please do get in touch at info at kdab.com or underneath this podcast or video.